Well, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we've got, after today, we have one more week of our summer message series that I've been calling Getting to Know Yah. I don't know where the summer has gone. When I started planning this message series, I thought nine weeks is going to seem like forever to have one message series. And to me, it's just gone by like a flash. I don't know about you. Uh, but uh, today is actually the last day that I'll be teaching in this series. What we've been doing, if you haven't been with us, uh, I've been teaching for two Sundays, and then somebody from our congregation has been sharing their story of how they got to know the Lord. And so uh, a few weeks ago, Terry Casson shared her story, very moving, powerful story uh, of experiencing God, and then Karen Barnhart two weeks ago shared her story of coming to know the Lord, and very long process, Karen's story was so encouraging For those of us that have struggled for a long period of time, and Karen, one of the things I appreciated about her story was how she struggled uh, intellectually with trying to understand who God was in that whole process. Really helped a lot of people. And so uh, today will be my last message of teaching, and then next Sunday I'm very excited for you to hear Stan Dykstra's story. And Stan... uh, is a, a person that I respect deeply and his experience with the Lord and his knowledge of the Lord I respect so much and I'm excited to hear his story and for him to share with you as well. So I hope that you'll be with us next Sunday. If you're traveling, uh, of course, all of our messages are available on podcast on our website. And uh, I hope you'll listen to stands if you are not with us next week. But we've been talking about how to get to know God. And uh, the word Yah that's up there on the screen is just a shortened form of the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. And, uh, and sometimes in the, in the Old Testament we find the word Yah, sometimes we find the word Yahweh. Uh, over the course of the last eight weeks, we've been saying the little, uh, the short verse from Psalm 150, Neshemah, Halal Yah. Oh, you're so slow today. <laughs> Neshemah, Halal Yah in, in Hebrew is translated everything that breathes. Praise the Lord. Halal is the Hebrew word for praise. Yah is a shortened form of of God's name. And uh, we get our English word hallelujah from halal yah, right? Can you see that? Hallelujah comes from halal yah. And uh, I've just been feeling this impulse all week long uh, to lead us in 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 a short time of worship using that word hallelujah. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever really thought about what the word hallelujah means, but, uh, but it, it just means praise God, praise the name of God. And when I was growing up, I, I grew up in a, in a home that worshipped God, and when I was very young, I can remember uh, going to gatherings of Christians and they would sing uh, this very simple song that just had one word, hallelujah. Do you guys, some of you older ones, you remember that old song? And, and I just want us to sing that together. And if you don't know this, uh, you can just sit and listen. I can remember as a kid, uh, worshiping at a church that my grandfather attended in Portland. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people singing this song. And I can remember feeling, this must be what heaven is going to be like. 
And, and I would just like us, uh, before I get into the teaching this morning, for us to just have a little taste of heaven singing hallelujah. Can you do that with me? I told uh, Vic I was going to steal her piano. So, uh, Why don't you stand with me, would you? If you know this, sing along with me. Hallelujah. 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 Yahweh, this morning we come into your presence and we invite you, Yahweh God, to breathe on us. Will you give us hearts that can feel your presence, ears that can hear your voice, eyes that can peel back the curtains to see the spiritual realm. God, give us skin that can feel you breathe in this room. We invite you to come and breathe on us, Yahweh God. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. A couple of years after Chris and I got married, we had an opportunity uh, to travel to the Far East. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We had some dear friends that were missionaries in Singapore, and they called us up, and they'd been working very, very hard, and they said, Russ and Chris, we need to take a vacation, and we need to be with some good friends. We need to be with Americans, and will you come and visit us in Singapore? And uh, they told us, they were so generous with us, they said, if you will find your way to Singapore, we will pay for everything once you get here, just get to Singapore, we need you here. And so uh, they planned a vacation for us that was outrageous. We had a week in Singapore, and, and they were working there in their ministry, but then they took a week off in addition to that, and we went scuba diving in Malaysia. It was absolutely unbelievable, scuba diving in the South China Sea. But Chris and I weren't divers uh, prior to that, and so before we took this trip to the Far East, we had to go through classes to become certified scuba divers. And it, it, was, it was a fun experience, but it was also kind of a frightening experience because neither one of us had done that before. And, and I have to tell you, uh, the, the process of learning to breathe underwater is strange. It's just strange. And anybody scuba diver here? A few of you are scuba divers. Uh, you remember when you learned? It's just weird, isn't it? And when we started to learn, we, we had a scuba diving instructor in Helena. That's where we went to take our classes. And, and uh, she would take us into swimming pools to start with. And we had, uh, you know, book lessons. We had to learn all the head knowledge. And then we had to go do it. And when we first started, Chris was way better at it than I was. I had been in the water my whole life, always was a swimmer. But it was just strange getting under the water and breathing. But Chris was doing great. But as we acclimated, I got used to it, and it became a little more natural. And we went through the steps of becoming certified divers. And finally the day came when we had to practice uh, the, the skill of buddy breathing. Now, if you don't know what buddy breathing is, buddy breathing is, is something that you learn in case you lose your tank or something goes wrong with your equipment and you don't have air underwater and you, you share a respirator and your air tank with your buddy. And, of course, Chris was my buddy. So we went out with our instructor, and this was going to be done in open water. So we were out at Canyon Ferry Lake outside of Helena, and uh, we were with our instructor. We put on all of our gear and our wetsuits and all that kind of stuff, and we sank down about 40 feet down to the bottom of that lake. And uh, we were both pretty comfortable. We were breathing, and it wasn't terribly cold. We're looking at a few trout swimming around, and there's our instructor with us, giving us instructions with hand signals and all this kind of stuff. And we sat down cross-legged on the bottom of that lake bed, and we knew ahead of time what was going to happen. Uh, one of us would take our respirator out and we would have to hold our breath while the other person took, was it three or four breaths, Chris? It was four breaths. You can hear the bitterness in her voice. So uh, if I remember correctly, I'm sure she'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think I took my respirator out first and she held on to her respirator and uh, she took four breaths. When she was done, she handed me the respirator. I put it in my mouth. And I began to breathe. Now, you understand, I am a very large man. And my lung capacity is huge. 
And I was comfortable and I wasn't in any hurry. So I'm just, I was just breathing. And pretty soon Chris gets these wild eyes, you know, underwater. And, and our instructor could see her start to panic. And she was done holding her breath. And I was only on breath two, you know. And so she reaches for my respirator in panic. And I just looked at her and I held onto it in my mouth. Not a good decision. <laughs> and Chris just freaked at that moment. She completely forgot that she had her own respirator that she could have put into her mouth at that moment. She just freaked and she looked at the instructor and she said, I'm going up. And we were too deep to just surface immediately. And so the, the instructor is trying to tackle her under the water to hold her down because you can get the bends if you go up too fast, you know. And it was just this crisis moment and Chris just panicked because she couldn't breathe when she wanted to breathe. And after that, she was never the same. We went, we went to Malaysia. We went to Malaysia. She was just freaky about breathing underwater. You know? And, and here's, here's the truth of it. Do you ever really think very much about breathing? You don't much, right? Nobody ever really thinks a lot about breathing. But it's something that is so vital to our life, to our existence. Did you know that we take 26,000 breaths in a day? 26,000 breaths in a day. Uh, That's 14,000 liters of air in one day. Uh, Scientists tell us that we need, need, I'll remind my lovely wife of this, you only need four to six breaths per minute. Oh, come on. You only need four to six breaths per minute, but we usually take 16 to 20 breaths a minute, about one every three seconds. We just like to breathe, don't we? We like to breathe. Here's something else I learned this week when it comes to breathing. It's one of the few systems in our body that is both involuntary and voluntary. If you think about your heart beating, you can't stop your heart beating. It just goes. It's completely involuntary. But with breathing, it both happens automatically, but you can also start and stop, right? So it it, kind of crosses into both of those fields. But this was interesting. I read this. You can't commit suicide by stopping breathing because if you deprive your head of enough air, of enough oxygen, you'll pass out, you'll go unconscious, and involuntary takes over and you'll start breathing again. And, and so breathing is, it's a remarkable thing, it's a miraculous thing, and yet we don't ever really think very much about breathing. Except when you're underwater with a large man with a large lung capacity. <laughs> if you have your Bibles this morning... Would you turn to the book of Exodus chapter 3? The book of Exodus chapter 3. I'll come back to the idea of breathing in just a moment. But today we're talking about the name of God, Yahweh. And I want you to see one of the stories in which God called himself by this name for the first time. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Some of this will come up on the screen this morning, but uh, if you've got your Bibles, you'll want to follow along. The story is of Moses, and and Moses was an interesting character. He was born at a time when male babies, male Jewish babies, were being killed, and he was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. 
Uh, he'd gone through life kind of in this conflicted position of being both a Jew and also being an Egyptian. And he had killed an Egyptian one time that he saw abusing a Jewish slave. And, and finally he fled out into the wilderness and he was just tending sheep. Even though he was raised as a prince, he found himself as, as a rancher, essentially. And, uh, and we pick up the story in chapter 3 this way. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. And suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. It says Moses was amazed because this, bull, this, this bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. Amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go over to see this. And when the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses answered, here I am. I can just imagine the confusion and the mystery that Moses must have had at that moment. And God said, do not come any closer. And then he said something very interesting. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. Now, one of the things that I want you to think about, uh, there was really nothing special about that ground that Moses was standing on other than the fact that there was a bush on fire that wasn't being consumed. And, and I think this tells us as much about God's holiness as it does uh, about the fact that, that ground isn't necessarily holy until you become aware that God is there. And then all of a sudden, it's holy. And God told Moses to take off his sandals. That would have been a very familiar practice to Moses uh, because in the Far East and in the Middle East, it's very common whenever you come into a holy place to take off your shoes. It's a sign of reverence. It's a sign of respect to the presence of God in that place. Jump down to verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, you can be sure that I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come to rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own good and spacious land. Then he goes on in verse 10 to say, now go for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. And if I can just summarize and paraphrase the next couple of verses, Moses freaked. Okay. That's pretty much what it says. Moses freaked. Here's this, this Moses is, is in isolation. He's in exile essentially because he's a murderer. He lived in this cross-section of royalty and slavery, didn't really know who he was. And here's God speaking out of a burning bush saying, Moses, you're going to rescue my people. And Moses just freaked. Verse 13 says, Moses protested to the Lord. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your, uh, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me and they will ask, which God are you talking about? What's his name? And what should I tell them? Because all Moses really saw was this bush that was burning up. And God answers, and he said this. I am the one who always is. Actually, a more literal translation of that phrase would be, I am what I am. 
And if, if you're following along in your Bibles or you see up on the screen, it's all in capital letters. I am what I am. I am the one who always is. Just tell them, I am has sent me to you. And then God, God went on to say, tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This will be my name forever. It has always been my name, and it will be used throughout all generations. Now again, you'll notice that the word Lord in this verse is in all capital letters. And what that stands for, it stands for the proper name of God, which is Yahweh. Uh, The I Am that was in all capital letters is a form of his name. And, and if you're taking notes this morning, you can jot a couple of things down. Let me, let me tell you, first of all, what, what I am is. It's the Hebrew word hayah. Hayah. We had a little issue with our uh, projection system this morning. You may have noticed during our worship that the colors were flashing and we've evidently got a bad cable. So I apologize for uh, how blurry this is. We used a, a lesser grade cable. Uh, but you can see there the word hayah, and, and in the Hebrew language, it's got those three letters. Hebrew reads right to left like Japanese, so uh, hayah there in Hebrew. Uh, but the word Yahweh is translated in our Bibles, the Lord, in all capital letters. And you'll see there when it's written in Hebrew, you see the similarity? It's, it's very similar. The reason our Bibles translate the the name Yahweh into the Lord is because ancient people believed that the name of God Yahweh was too holy to even be pronounced. And so for centuries, nobody ever said this name. They would substitute the Lord or Adonai, which meant the Lord. They would substitute that. And so our Bible translators have followed that ancient tradition of translating God's name into the Lord. But when God appeared to Moses, he said, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. And, and people have asked for generations, what does Yahweh mean? Well, it's, it's closely related to Hayah, which means I am, I exist. And when God said, Haya, Haya, I exist, I exist, what he was communicating is, I have always been, I will always be, I have no beginning, I have no end, nobody made me, I just exist. And Yahweh has some of that sense of just being. He, he is who he is. Now here's something else you can write in your notes if you're writing this down. Yahweh is used... Nearly 7,000 times in the Old Testament. Nearly 7,000 times. This This is the proper name of God. It's the name he calls himself. But it is a mysterious name because it's made up of four consonants. The Hebrew language doesn't use any vowels like we use in English. It just uses consonants. And, and I want you to see what these consonants are. The first one is Yod. And the second one is He. Third one is Vav. And the fourth is He. And these consonants sound like Yah, Huh, Yah, Huh. And what we see here is that the name of God, Yahweh, it's essentially the sound of breathing. Yahweh. Just say it out loud quietly. Yahweh. You hear how it's just 
breath coming out of you. Do it again. Yahweh. It's the sound of breathing. When the story is told of the creation of mankind in Genesis chapter 2, this is what we read. It says, And the Lord God formed a man's body from the dust of the ground. That Hebrew word is Adama. And after he had formed this man out of dust, Genesis 2 says, He breathed into it the breath of life. God breathed, and this creature made out of dust, Adama, became a living person. It's interesting to me that the name Adam is a form of Adama. Adama means ground. Adam, Adam, could be said to mean ground man or dirt man. If you're sitting next to somebody you know, turn to them and say, I always knew you were dirt. God took this dust, this, this earth, and he fashioned a man, and then he breathed, and this man became animated. And if you think about it, we are still just dust, are we not? And, and honestly, life is so fragile because we're just made up of dirt and the breath of God. A couple of years ago, my family buried my grandfather. When he died, he was 107 years old. 107. And uh, I always knew my grandfather to be a hard worker. He was, he was an amazing man. He always worked with his hands and his body. Uh, I can remember one time when he was still living in his own home. He had a big garden, and he had a tree that had overgrown in the middle of the garden. And, uh, and he decided to chop the tree down. And... Uh, and he wanted to make more space for his garden, give the garden more light, and he couldn't figure out the day after. I mean, he was in his 80s when he chopped the tree down. Couldn't figure out why his back hurt the next day. And my dad suggested that maybe his back hurt because it wasn't enough for him to chop the tree down, but he dug down three feet around the stump so he could get it below ground level. 80 years old. Couldn't figure out why his back hurt. Uh, when he was in his mid-90s, he moved into a retirement home with my grandmother, who was in her mid-80s, and... Uh, and they could no longer have their own place. And my grandfather was climbing the walls because he liked to do things. He was a, he was a worker. He was a doer. So he was always looking for uh, ways to help in any way he could. And he loved to paint, loved to paint houses, loved to paint whatever. And my parents had a, had a fence that ran the length of their property on an alley that was all overgrown with lilac trees. And because it was hard to get to, the paint had all peeled off that old fence. And so grandpa said one day, I'm going to paint that fence. So uh, mom and dad bought him paint, and he went to work, and he was painting up a storm for about a week. And one day he came into the house, and he had this huge gash on his forehead. And uh, bleeding profusely, he came in and asked my mom to bandage him, bandage him up and get him back uh, to work. And my mom said, what happened? And he said to her, well, I was pulling back one of those big lilac stems, one of, the, one of the large branches, and I was trying to paint behind it, and I let go, and it slapped me in the face and broke the skin. And, you know, we all felt bad for him, and he had this, I mean, bruising and bleeding, and it, it was an ugly, uh, an ugly scar. And, but a couple weeks later, he confessed, his guilty conscience was getting the best of him, he confessed that, uh, 
that it wasn't a lilac bush that had hit him in the face. Actually, he had been walking down the sidewalk to come in and use the restroom, and he tripped on the sidewalk and fell flat on his face and didn't break his fall with his arms. And he lied about it because he was afraid my mom would get all protective and wouldn't let him finish painting the fence. So he made up the story about the lilac bushes. He was a tough old guy, lived to 107. My grandmother was 95 when she passed away. And you know, when, you, when you're around people who are long livers and you witness longevity, like my family has, my, my dad's parents too lived to be very old. When you're around that kind of environment, it's easy to think that life is very, very secure, that life will go on until we're too old to move, right? But the reality is life is fragile. My grandfather knew that life was fragile. When he was in his 40s, he lost his first wife who was killed in a head-on car crash. And he loved her deeply. And although he married my grandmother eventually, uh, he never really was able to fully recover from the wound of losing his first love. Her name was Rose. And he would talk about her so affectionately. And life, even if we don't always perceive it, is fragile, isn't it? Psalm 144 says this, We are like a breath of air. Our days are like a passing shadow. It's like you breathe out and life is gone. Some of you that are my age or older, doesn't it seem like life just goes faster and faster and faster? And it just seems like we breathe and the days and the years are gone. Life is like a breath of air. And we come to know that life is fragile, but at the same time, it's extraordinary that we have been breathed into by the creator of the universe. Psalm 8 tells us that God has crowned us with glory and honor, that, that we are just created just a little lower than the angels. It's like we have this breath of God in us, like we're really sacred dirt clods, Okay? <laughs> If you insulted somebody earlier, look at them and say, you're a sacred dirt clod. (laughs) Nobody's saying it. We're sacred dirt clods. Why? Because God has breathed into us. Here's something that I want you to know. In the Bible languages, I think this is fascinating. Uh, The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. And in those languages, both languages, the word breath is the same word as spirit. In Hebrew, that word is ruach. In Greek, the word is pneuma. And those words are identical. Breath and spirit are the same words. So in Psalm 104, we read this. Take a look at this. This is so cool. The writer says this, When you, God, take away their ruach, they die and turn again to dust. But when you send your Ruach, new life is born to replenish all the living of the earth. The breath of God is everything to life. And, and what separates us from the dirt on the ground, I'm looking around for dirt clods, but I don't see any. But what, what separates us from, oh, you're a dirt clod? Oh, man, your dad just called you a dirt clod. You're a sacred dirt clod. What, what separates us from plain old dirt on the ground is simply the breath that comes from Yahweh. And his name is like breathing. 
Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says this. The Spirit of God, or the pneuma of God, the breath of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Do this with me, would you? Would you just take a deep breath? The breath of God lives in you, is what this verse says. And just as that breath raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies through His same breath, pneuma, spirit, who lives in you. If you breathe, friends, you are breathing the air that God breathes in you. You are a sacred dirt clod. And if you look around this room, we are full of people that God has breathed into. This ground is holy. Why? Because God is here. His breath is in our lungs. Would you do something with me? Would you just take off your shoes where you are? Somebody told me earlier, we're going to fill this place up with a bunch of stink. I'm asking you to take off your shoes because like Moses, as you look around this room, I, I want you to be aware that the presence of God is right here. Yahweh, the God of the universe, His name sounds like breathing. The Bible tells us that God formed us and then breathed into us. Yahweh is in this room. And I'm asking you to take off your shoes because this place is holy. And whether or not you're a follower of Jesus Christ or if you're just visiting us because somebody invited you or maybe you're just kind of checking things out to see what this religion thing is, it doesn't matter where you are on your spiritual journey. What the Bible says is that this place is holy because His Spirit and His presence is here. Your shoes are off. This place is holy. Would you just close your eyes for a second and say with me, Yahweh? Again, Yahweh. One more time. Yahweh. Let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. What's inside of you? If you could take a a pair of spectacles that could just stare into your spirit. What's inside of you this morning? What are you angry about? What's filling up your mind? What's stressing you today? The question I'm asking is, what do you need to breathe out? Jesus said that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. What do you need guidance in? 
What decisions are you needing to make that you don't have a clue where to go, what to do? What do you need wisdom for? Jesus said that God gives the Spirit, the pneuma, the breath of God, He gives it without limit. What do you need to breathe in? The Bible tells us that God is spirit. And you are a spiritual creation of God. His breath is flowing through you. We're sitting here in this room on holy ground. There's a holiness to all the people around us because the breath of God is animating every person in this room. It's holy here. Think about that for a minute. And think about this. What's the first thing that a baby does when a baby is born? He breathes. Or maybe he's saying the name of God. What's the last thing we do before we die? We take one last breath. Or maybe we're saying the name of God. Yahweh. Would you worship with Victoria as she leads us in this beautiful song?